welcome to our podcast time of the month again well it's may where's the time going and i need to ask laura my co-host where's the time going oh i've no idea but it does seem to be going by super fast uh, i can't believe that it is um me already do you know i actually feel as if like I, i've become really quite attuned you know to the seasons over this past year you know and really paying a trying to pay attention you know, uh, especially like, you know, to, to what I'm seeing when I'm out walking the dogs, like, you know, and, and it seemed as if like all of a sudden, so it was just, we, we tiny, tiny buds on the trees and like up the walkway. And then within days, like the greenery had just sprouted to life. And I'm like, Wow, you know, just like it took it really took my breath away how quickly um that the life kind of resumed. And it could be as well, like maybe we're we're really keen to resume life um post-COVID, you know, that, that this might be like a collective kind of speeding up a time, it might seem like. It's a beautiful metaphor, isn't it? The the death and then the life, and it's just instant almost yeah i love that thanks for that but i think it's also to do with getting older i hate to, to be negative, but i think it's also to do with getting older time flies yeah well i'm linda and you've heard from laura and we want to welcome a very special guest today but hold on to your hats sisters because oh, yes there's a fox in the hen house <laughs> a very a very wonderful fox albeit and um, we are delighted to welcome robert allen to our, our gathering today. Robert, tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, well, a slightly greying fox, I think, just at the sides of my, my hair, but uh, it's good to be with you. Um, my name's Robert Allen. I'm the minister at uh, Falkirk Trinity Church in the heart of Falkirk. Uh, been there for about 18 years, and um, I've been in ministry for 30 years uh, this year, so um, a long time. Uh, time that time seems to have vanished a lot as well, but uh, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying about um, uh, about time passing quickly. Here we are in May, and I'm just waiting for the temperature to go up a wee bit because uh, spring has sprung in various ways, but um, a wee bit of warmth in the air. Yeah. yeah, just looking forward to that. But it's great to be with you this morning. Well, we're glad to have you, and. Have you had a good week at all, or a hard week, or has anything significant jumped up and bitten you on the nose? Well, um, I, I, I'm kind of, uh, I like to think of myself as a little bit of a thorn in the side at times, or a voice in the wilderness, or whatever you want to call that. So my week is going pretty well, um, apart from uh, one or two wee issues that I'm trying to deal with through Central Church and, uh, and things are not um, particularly fruitful in terms of answers. So, um, yes, my, the, the, uh, my, my hackles are being slightly raised yeah. um, with some of these things, but um, nothing I'm sure we can't work through. Good. That's the, I think you have to have that kind of attitude, don't you? Well... Um, you know, life's too short, as you say. Years are advancing. You know, so um, what's what's the best that we can do in the time that we're given? So yeah, let's uh, let's make the most of it. I was reading this morning actually something about from Thomas Merton, who who I'm in love with, even though he's dead and buried and gone home to glory. I I think he's just incredible, and he's writing in 1965, and he says. Um, it's not altogether easy to make an act of faith that all of history is in God's hands, but history is in the hands of God and the decisions of men and women lead infallibly to the full expression of what is really hidden in them and in their society. And it seemed to me that I think that's also the church. So how we, we are in our church, capital C, small c, how we communicate, how we truly are, comes out from the underbelly um, over time. And in 1965, he was saying, God is the author of history and, and God is God. But I think that we in the church tend to think we're God at times. And mm. I think, I, I'm not meaning to be critical because I point the finger at myself as well. We make decisions and 
who we are from those decisions reflects who God is. And, and I look at our society and I look at our church culture and it, it, it pains me that it doesn't feel to me like we've got the priorities right. And it doesn't feel to me that we're reflecting the compassion of God, the grace of God. Um, and I think that um, this whole movement that we're trying to, to have this radical action plan, it concerns me because I don't know that we're necessarily going to the heart of the problem. And um, we're doing what, what most people do, the administration, the mm -hmm. fixing of rules and regulations, the, and, and that to me is just surface. And I want us to be deeper, going deeper and reflecting who God truly is. But, yeah, I think but, we're not we're not listening to God. I think that's I think whenever, you know, I think especially within a an institution, um, you, you can get bogged down by the administration. You get bogged down by finances instead of actually listening to what God is saying yeah. and listening to the people who are who are to do here. You know what God's saying yeah. and you know, trying to follow that vision, no matter how difficult it is. And see, instead of having like a general assembly, I would rather we just had like a week of prayer, a week of prayer. You know, wouldn't it be wonderful if we said, right, everybody, you know, let's say we'll have people like, we'll have people here, but we'll have people all around the country just praying in their churches you know and seeing what happens and then like then we can report it back to each other you know then we can share what God's saying is in this time um that that's what I would like but I know that that is that ain't going to happen <laughs> I think uh, as well as the, the prayer wouldn't it be great um if we just had big singing sessions and big making craft sessions and, and big cooking and eating together sessions oh, yeah. that'd be amazing just somebody gets up and say i'm going to sing you a song here you go and then you're sitting you're eating your food that someone else next year has helped you prepare and you're going to wash them dishes i did a children's assembly a hundred years ago and the first one we did we had massive bouncy castles for the children <laughs> and i don't know if you remember um douglas nickel he was my boss wonderful wonderful man and at the Mission and Discipleship Council, and Angus Morrison, he was the convener of this, this council. And oh, a, a lot, Marjorie McLean, do you remember Marjorie? She was a, the deputy principal clerk. Yeah. And other people who were considered, I don't like the word powerful, but who had heavy responsible jobs in one to one, they all came along to look at it. Well, we managed to get the kids off the bouncy castles to go and do other projects, and they jumped onto the bouncy castles. And I have never laughed so hard in my life. And I said to Douglas and, Ang and Angus afterwards, I said, you know, the General Assembly has a playpen, but maybe it should have a bouncy castle so that when oppo opponents, because they are opponents, theological opponents, when they get so annoyed and angry and upset with each other, they go into the bouncy castle and start bouncing. <laughs> and you can do nothing but laugh. And when you're laughing at somebody and with somebody and being laughed at, all the fear and anger dissipates yes. and remember who we are and whose we are we're, we're singing from the same hymn sheet there like i i i was uh, a, a, a one of those play centers with my wee granddaughter uh, a couple of years ago now but it was round about assembly time and i took i took, did a wee tweet at the time saying i think i found a new venue for the general <laughs> assembly because we would have far more fun there and i always said i've always said every time i go to the assembly I absolutely love the singing at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it all goes downhill after we stop singing. So yeah. let's just keep singing <laughs> and, and, and see where it goes. But I, I think in terms of this radical action and reforming, uh, for me, it's about trying to dismantle as much of the um, out-of-date stuff as possible mm. to allow glimpses of light, allow glimpses of... Uh, what what a better church might look like for us going uh, going into the future, and I'm I'm hoping that as much can be um, dismantled, reformed to allow that light to get in. Because sometimes you get a sense that you cannot criticize the church because it is like God, so it's mm -hmm. like criticizing God. Yeah. Um, whereas I think you know when did the church become perfect? It no. never has. Yeah. Uh, so. You know, let's look at ourselves. Let's see what we can do better. 
let's look to God and say, you know, what is it you want us to do and be going forward uh, in the time that we're living in, you know? Preach it, brother. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of preaching it, our guest chose the woman that we're going to be reflecting on together today. And our guest chose someone who there's not a whole lot written about her in the scriptures, um, but nevertheless, we will persevere. And today we're going to be thinking about Eve. Eve, the first woman, also known, by the way, as possibly in, in other literature as Lilith. Um, so what do you think? What's, what's your immediate response when you hear the word or the name Eve? Well, well, <laughs> well, this is the thing. Eve has, um, Eve has become um, synonymous in our culture um, with temptation. And Eve has, uh, you know, been used throughout, like, probably throughout history to, to advertise um, luxury, luxury items and uh, products that, Oh, we just need to have, <laughs> and uh, this was something that um, I had uh, I had wrote about whenever I was at uh, university because it really did capture my imagination, you know. And you're thinking, why, you know, why is it? Because this is the thing we don't we don't um, we see it as a temptress, but actually Adam could have said no; <laughs> he didn't want the apple. <laughs> You know, he could have said no. You know, seemed as if he no, but it's like you know, and this is the bit is what 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 makes you know you're thinking she was probably not even you know she was probably just an ordinary woman, but we've made her you know out to be this you know dazzling beguiling temptress, um, who can you know turn heads, um. Well, that's not actually how it comes across, um, in the in the scripture at all. You know, it just comes across quite matter of fact, and um, yeah. So, so it's uh, it's very interesting that that she has developed this um, reputation and uh, has become, you know, that she has she has temptation. Uh -huh. It's a bit like Mary Magdalene we were talking about last month, and how we have imposed an identity upon her that's inconsistent with the text. It's, I remember my A-level RE teacher saying a text without a context becomes a pretext. And I think that Eve and Mary are two classic examples of pretext. What do you think, Robert? What's been going on in your head, buddy? Well, I, I think um, I, 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 the, the reason I, I chose Eve, because I, I think more and more over time, the, the first couple of chapters of Genesis, right at the beginning of the Bible, has, you know, Eve is, Eve is uh, in there. She's part of that story. But it's just been such a misunderstood story for mm. so long. And even in our so-called intelligent modern world, there are still people who look at this and just take it literally. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, that, you know, Adam and Eve, you know, they set up home in a bungalow, you know, and, <laughs> and, and, and it rolled on from there kind of thing. You know what I mean? You know, um, taking away all the, the things that we know about the scientific world, about the, uh, the creation. And, and we forget that these stories at the beginning of Genesis are about mm. trying, to, trying people long ago who, who didn't have the, the insights that we have today, but they were trying to, to talk about a God who's behind the world and behind us as human beings. Um, but I, I think the I think the misinterpretation of it and and, and particularly of Eve has has not served women well, <laughs> um, you know. Uh, over over the time, the interpretations have have kind of um, landed. I think women in a in that lesser role that women have been even now still fighting against um, and trying to to find that equality that that, that um, I believe is in, in the sight of God. So let me take you back to something you said a few seconds ago um, about this is the, the, the first couple of chapters of Genesis. Now, many, many people who listen to this will read Genesis literally and will believe that God created the earth in six days and, and in the sixth day, Adam and Eve. Um, so you're suggesting that it is, it's 
less literal and more poetic language. Um, it's a story behind to, to try and, to try and um, illustrate who the creator is, um, as opposed to this is scientifically what happened and in 24 hours, or, or if you try to harmonize the text, you say, well, an hour to God, it could be a hundred years to us. So you're saying it's more poetic literature? I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely, you know, I'm convinced myself that it, that it is poetic literature. I mean, if you think of the things that we've learned as a society and as a world, say, even over the, la the last century, and how things have really galloped along a pace during that time. So think of a time when people would be writing and passing on these kind of stories. It's, it's mm -hmm. you know, it's in an age that we can't really comprehend. Mm -hmm. But it's amazing what they are trying to tell us. Yeah. They are trying to tell us uh, they didn't know, you know, all of, they, they weren't, party to watching all of David Attenborough's wonderful uh, films about creation, you know, where things were uh, formed over uh, millions of years. And that, that that's not in this story because the people didn't know it then. We know it now. So what do we do? Do we try and fight against science or do we embrace it and say, what, what is, what, where is God in it, in it all now? How do we interpret this for, for our time? And yes, I, I can still read this and say, yes, I, I believe God is the creator and behind everything in this world. Mm. Um, in what time scale did he do it? It matters not a jot. <laughs> yeah, I have to hang my hat in the same peg because I think actually I'm not a scientist. I haven't a clue about science, but I love the beauty of the poetry of the creator God. Um, the, the creator God who took in this story so much care um, and provided so much detail and created Adam and realized that Adam was made for community, so created Eve. I love that the ancient peoples who come up with this story realized that we're not made to be lone rangers. We're not made to walk alone, but we're made for community. And, and so it seems to me that this beautiful poetry of the first few chapters, first three chapters of Genesis, is a lot more helpful to somebody of my mindset than, than perhaps maybe somebody who likes science or who's good at science. Um, and, and yeah, I think there's so much can be said about the identity, the character of God, simply um, by listening to what the ancients have, have, have created. It's, it's a beautiful... Um, it's a beautiful story to insert ourselves into and to realise that we are part of it. And anyway, I'm rambling. Laura, what, what do you think? Um, well, see, I've got a wee bit of a... Um, I've, I've got a wee bit of an issue with how in Genesis 1, so in Genesis 1 and verse 26, you know, then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals on the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them and God blessed them. And... And God said so that, and then, but then, and um, then in Genesis two, so we have like an addition, you know, to the story. Yeah. You know, we have this, yeah. you like addition in. So you're like, well, what, what, what's the, what's the, what really happened? You know, what really happened? And then in Genesis two, um, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Edom to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man. Oh, so, oh wait a minute. I'm sorry. I'm at the wrong bit. Um, oh, do, we're down a wee bit. Um, yeah, so he wanted, uh, so he formed everything and then he, he needed a companion. And that's whenever um, he needed a helper and a partner. So the Lord God, this is in verse 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept then he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man um uh -huh. that, then, that's, the first, that's the first induced coma <laughs> <laughs> that the world knew 
So what's your point, caller? Then, right then, the but then. So what gets me then is, is it was the the man later on. So Adam is the one then that that names Eve. You know, but God has created them, and He's created them both. So in Genesis one, He's created them both in God's image. So to me, there's an equality there. You know, there's an actual equality. Uh, they're both they're both together. They're both equal. But in um, but in Genesis two, with this this like uh, elaboration, shall we say, of the story or the addition of the story, or you know, maybe somebody's agenda within the story. Um, there's the it's the man that's important. He's the first. He's the first. Well. Then there's the woman, and then it's the man that names the woman. You know, and to me that that's, I, I feel that maybe there's a bit of a discrepancy there. Well, remember the two accounts. The first account in chapter one was was by the Elohist editor who put that in place. The second account was by the Yahwist editor. Um, so there's two. You're coming from two different angles, two different schools of thought. Um, in terms of of creation and we think I think most people would say that the second the, the Yahweh's understanding would be an explanation of how humankind fell the fall of man and that's where the story of the creation of Eve comes into being the seductress attemptress the she is the one to blame you have to blame somebody come on <laughs> you've got two stories you've got two stories there at the beginning it's one like the, the first one is the big picture and then suddenly you, you've got the, the the camera coming in to focus a wee bit uh, nearer and going like oh what was actually the detail of that the yeah. human beings being created but in actual fact within the first couple first two or three chapters of genesis you've got the setting for the whole of the bible you've got the setting for the whole of creation because here's creation how did it come about god made it he's behind all the creation he's behind human beings and now you've got to say well how did how did all that break up how did the disharmony come in uh, and it's because you know human beings and god well human beings decided to go their own way mm. and ever since then it's about how do we reconcile that again mm-hmm. yeah i think i think though that what what my issue is with it is is that to me that it's at the very beginning that within that genesis 2 story is then how women are then treated you know class you know throughout history um and then within the church as well you Mm. know and that there's that that's for me is what the what my issue is with the this story and how Eve is um you know characterized within it. I understand that and a lot of the feminist theologians are talking about the fact that um although she was created from in the second story from a rib in Adam's body, um it reflected that they Eve was created from the same matter or same material as Adam, so therefore there's no inferiority. Why then have they imposed upon this idea of, of Eve being less than Adam? Um, and, and actually I was reading some of the Midrash stuff, it's hilarious. Um, some of the rabbis teach that Adam was created andro- androgynously. I don't even say that word, male and female. Don't, don't spell that one. <laughs> I, I can spell it, but I can't pronounce it. That's actually interesting, that. It that, is, isn't that's, it? That's yeah. a really like, cool concept. Uh, but also, another thing that we're saying was, everybody compared to Sarah, Abraham's wife, it looks like an ape, is as ugly as an ape. And then Sarah compared to Eve, is as ugly as an ape. But Eve, the most beautiful of all of God's creation, as ugly as an ape compared to Adam, how handsome he is. <laughs> you can see over the, the generations how the, the rabbis have taught different things. The rabbi, and Midrash rabbi, the Eve is condemned terribly. And they, they accuse her in this particular Midrash of copulating with Satan, with the serpent. Um, and they also, I mean, I couldn't believe what I was reading. Tertullian, one of my heroes in history, he says that women... Women are the gateway to hell. <gasps> and that because of all women, Christ was crucified. 
I mean, she's looking you saw or something. <laughs> that was Chris. It was Chris Rea that oh, it was the highway to hell. That's right. Highway to hell. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't believe some of the stuff I was reading about Eve. But um, don't you think? Don't you think with this, with this story at the beginning, and I'm talking about creation, and then uh, you know, in chapter one as well, because it's been um, uh, you know written and passed on by people who did not have the insight, they were. They were actually way ahead of their time in some ways, kind of thing. Oh, but, yeah. But by, by, by taking the kind of literal interpretations of Adam and Eve as, you know, yes, there was an Adam and an Eve, um, it's, it's, it served as a great disservice yes. to the faith as well. Because then, you know, um, women were, were kind of subservient to, 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 to men. You know, they were just a wee rib compared to the whole body and all this kind of stuff. And so it's going on. But in, in actual fact... One of the things I, I dislike um, intensely these days is these period dramas. Uh-huh. <laughs> do you know what I mean? These period dramas like, uh, what do you call them, the Downton and all that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. I, I don't like these things. One, because, like, you know, these kind of rich folk just treat men and women as servants, you know, just to wait on them hand and foot. Mm. But then um, women had a, you know, a role that was not... Um, about business, about running things. They, they were, you know, supposed to be wives, mothers, and, and looking after the, these kind of things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, 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 it's been thus for so long, and it's, it's still hard to, to go against that. And I think even modern faiths today, and, I'm, and I mean multi-faiths, do not help. Yeah. They, they perpetuate this... Um, women as being somehow, you know, slightly lesser than men in some way, whether that's because of division or because of the way they make them dress or the way they're treated, um, you know, it still persists today. And I, I think, I think, in a sense, some of this story back in Genesis about Eve is 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 part, partly to blame for some of this. It's perpetuated it. How many times have you been referred to as a man minister or a gentleman minister? Never. Yeah, I'm often referred to as a lady minister. That's <laughs> yeah, no. it's, it's, it's the whole the whole mindset has, has completely changed. Laura, sorry, I interrupted you there. Um, no, I, I actually can't remember what I was going to say. <laughs> no, I, th- I was I was just agreeing with Robert. Actually, I was agreeing with him um, because I was thinking as well about how you know, like you know, I was actually thinking about the times whenever these uh, period dramas are made. You know, and you think about actually how um you know actually how servants were treated you know and maybe um abused or even raped by masters you know within these houses and if they became pregnant it was the woman that was you know sent out you know, she, she was the one that was um to blame you know she was and you know you know, getting sent out in disgrace to, you know, goodness knows what, you know, and maybe perhaps having to, like, give up her child and, um, you know, she's not going to get another job again. So I, I think that's um, definitely, you know, and I, and I think it's only fairly recently that, you know, especially I think in cases of um, uh, rape and, you know, like abuse, um, that it's only recently I think that we're actually really starting to take seriously you know that it's it's not the women to blame. Yeah absolutely um, just to slightly veer a wee bit away from that for no particular reason other than it's in my crazy chaotic brain um, did you know that in Notre Dame Cathedral in, in Paris and I was there before the big fire I nearly swallowed my tongue when I saw the image of Eve on the head as the head of the serpent. I mean, oh, come on, Eve. <laughs> what? Pardon? In the church, yeah. I mean, is it any wonder why there's negativity and and this these false assumptions about Eve being a seductress and a temptress? So I mean, you're kind of hoping that that was damaged in the fire, then, is that? Ah, uh, part of me is, but <laughs> no, I don't mean that at all. No, no, that's the thing. It's like now, if you're if you're if you think about how so many people, you know, throughout history, you know, even in this country, you know, were, weren't literate, you know, and they're yeah. just being told, same by their priest, the story, you know, of things. That's what they're going to believe. 
And it's as if, you know, and that's kind of, and you're seeing these images, you know, of uh, Eve on your, you know, church walls or in the windows or, you know, stained glass windows or whatever, and in the art, then that is what you're going to believe, you know, because you don't have any other point of reference. Mm -hmm. And and also then it kind of, it's as if it becomes like part of our, like, you know, part of our DNA, isn't it? Our, our ancestral DNA that, well, this is what we this is what we believe. And it's hard because once it's in there, once the neural pathways have been created, it's really hard to uncreate them, you know? Mm -hmm. But I, I was stunned at some of the art I was looking at where Eve is always portrayed negatively. And an actual, I mean, in the story, she's the mother of creation, of, of humankind rather, not creation. She's the mother of, of people. And the, to portray something that's beautiful and wholesome, and um, positive and a very negative mm -hmm. sense the whole and even just a portrayal of sexuality and the the fact that we're created as sexual beings we're i mean sex was created before many many other things in our life you know god is the the giver and creator of sex but to to turn that in its head and make it so negative and make it so so tawdry mm -hmm. just concerns me and it concerns me that um, going back a wee bit again to what you were saying earlier, Robert, that we in the church have allowed this myth, this this wickedness to be perpetuated by not standing up and challenging it. I mean, we commit intellectual suicide time and time again with scripture. And is it I any wonder that, the kids I, walk away? I, I think that that's shown even in the, the last part of the of the story of the disobedience when 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 God hands out the punishment, so to speak. Oh you know I mean? Lord, the punishment. So, so like like Eve, like you know, like every woman on earth is now going to look back and just like hate Eve because because of your naughtiness, Eve. <laughs> we we've got this you know dreadful thing to go through. We're going to have trouble in pregnancy. It's going to be hellish to give birth. All this kind of stuff, and all because you hand, you you took an apple and handed it on. You know, what I mean, like I mean, really, <laughs> but I mean, people in those days, you think like, well, how you know. Um, it's really, you know, women are having a tough time and then it's hard to give birth. It's really painful. You know, I'm saying this, you know, from a spectator's point of view, um, you know, but, you know, like, so how do we explain that? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, let's make the end of the story. This is the punishment. Amazing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's almost, it's a bit like the, the book of Job as well, later in the Bible, you know, where Job suffers all these afflictions and then his, his friends say to him, by the way, you must have done something really bad to deserve all this kind of thing, you know what I mean? And, and, and that is another thing that even perpetuates today. Yes. Uh, from, from, from Job, from, from Eve, it's like, mm -hmm. well, if you've done something bad, you must have done something to deserve it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And Which, do you really think God works that way? The yeah. God of love? <laughs> Which goes against exactly what Jesus said. Whenever they ask him the question, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? Mm -hmm. The man who was... Was he blind? I can't remember precisely, but was he blind? And and Jesus heals him. And he says, neither the man nor the parents sinned, you know. But yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, this podcast is called Time of the Month. <laughs> and the reason it's called that is because we, well, if I remember correctly, Laura, we wanted to aim, let people, they would, women would recognize it immediately, time of the month. Uh -huh. And also we wanted to kind of shock people a wee bit. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to say, say this is a place where we want to be honest and open and, and say how we really feel. Yes. Um, and so for, for the whole time of the month and the whole pregnancy and labor pains and everything else to be associated with a woman who was gathering food for her husband or her partner, life partner, whatever you want to call him. Mm -hmm. She was gathering food. You know, it wasn't like she went out to, to trip him up or <laughs> cut him down or make sin come into the world, you know. I know, and that's the thing. It's like you do things that are, um, you know, things happen. You know, that's the thing. Things happen. But, you know, I was thinking there about the, you know, within the whole, like, creation, all animals, you know, not, actually, I don't think any animal just kind of pops out their young, you know. There's yeah. always this, there's oh, always this time of, like, uh, you know, pain and, like, as the body adapts, and actually seeing, like, especially seeing the sheep 
and horses give birth. Mm. You know, some sheep especially, you know, they have really difficult births. You mm. know, so they're not just them, they're not just like popping them out. So, which surprises me because I'm thinking, well, people at the, you know, earlier on, you know, in history, people lived nearer, closer in nature and, you know, and understood animal husbandry. So they would have understood that, well, actually all births, that's painful. Um, and, and Even just, spiritual birth yeah. and rebirth. It's all about suffering and, and travail, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. But what about the old serpent? Do you not think, I mean, I didn't read, uh, for the first time I read that the serpent would slither on its belly and that made me think, well, it must have had feet before then. Yes. Uh-huh. The serpent had feet. Snake, snakes walking around, you know. Oh, right there, how are you doing? You know, handbag. Look at my snakeskin handbag and my snakeskin <laughs> shoes. I was you know? thinking like uh, centipedes, you know. Like, oh, exactly. So no, no, I mean, not only is it ridiculous, you know, for, for snakes to be walking around the place, yeah. they're talking as well. <laughs> when did they start talking? Harry Potter only uh-huh. invented that one, you know what I mean? That's it, yeah. Oh, dear doctor. <laughs> but it's, it's curious to me that um, the need to blame, the need to apportion blame, and you see that in our culture all the time. You see it in my one of my favourite TV shows. It's the thing I dislike about it, that they think that revenge will make it all feel better and go away and that someone has to, you know, pay for the crime. And it's always easier, isn't it, to, to blame somebody else and have someone else pay for the crime. Mm-hmm. I, I think that throughout history, um, women have been the scapegoats. Mm-hmm. And I think that, we- that Eve is probably the ultimate scape- scapegoat. Yeah, I would agree. And I think, uh, you know, Adam, Adam could have taken responsibility. He could have said, well, I know you said God, but that apple looked really good and, and I wanted it. Okay, so I need to say something here, friends. You've both said apple. It's not an apple. We don't know what kind of fruit it was. So let's be, you know, in case anybody's listening and they're getting upset at us saying apple, we're just using that word apple. It doesn't mean we believe it was an apple. because a text, and all we have is the text. The text doesn't say it was an apple. I think it was a Macintosh red. I mean, who couldn't resist a Macintosh red? Well, no, it was a pink lady. (laughs) Let's let's think about it. Let's put it in context. (laughs) Oh, dear. Well, yeah, so... Is there anything else you want to say about Eve? I'm saying the silence is speaking volumes. Um, I would want to encourage people to go and read some of the, the to go and reread the texts again and mm-hmm. and open up your mind to the possibility that perhaps Eve isn't as bad as she thinks. The Talmud actually compares Eve to the creation of the tabernacle in Exodus 26. So the Talmud is, is actually... Um, saying that she's a woman who is to be sanctified by comparing her to the, the sanctity of the, the tabernacle. So it's not all bad in, in, in our history and in a Jewish metaphor and in Jewish commentary. So I wonder, in our last few minutes, I wonder could we, we could turn, and a woman I've been thinking about is Nazanine Zagari Ratcliffe. This poor woman, this Iranian British citizen, went home six years ago to visit her parents, took her wee girl with her, she was one year old, and the Iranian government arrested her and put her in the jail. And now six years later, she's still in jail. And that woman isn't seeing her child, holding her, hugging her, except for agreed upon visits that she's allowed. And I I just cannot begin to imagine her torture or her pain. Um, But it was in the news this week that her husband was saying, Richard was saying that he believes that she has become a political pawn, a political bargaining chip mm-hmm. um, because of a, a debt owed to Iran for something like 400 million pounds for tanks that were sent over to the UK. What are your thinkings? What, what is your thinking on Nazanin at the moment? I, I think she definitely has been made, you know, a pawn. Um, in this um, I, I, I really believe and think that actually our government could be doing more to, mm. to secure a release um, I, I do wonder if um, 
and again it's like women are viewed differently you know in that country um in iran um and their value is you know it's not it's not the same as if like it's, it's not the same as here um and so you wonder if perhaps if it was a man that was um imprisoned would it be a different would it be different um and she has suffered you know real abuse you know out there and torture um and actually now it's the mental torture as well so um you know thinking that she was going to be getting released you know and and then it's like imprisoned again and it's uh yeah it's such a it's such a dreadfully sad situation but i do think that we could be doing more to to Mm. secure a release Mm -hmm. I, i think it's an absolutely just absolutely shocking to be honest that someone can be treated like this uh, for so long. Now, I know, you know, those in authority in Iran, you know, are um, at odds with uh, many in the world. Um, but to, 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 even if she is a pawn in all of this, you know, to, to lay all this on the shoulders of, of one person and one woman yeah. is absolutely, you know, it's, it's, it's beyond belief. And uh, yes, I, I, I really do hope that the government are trying to do everything they can uh, to, to get her back here again with her family. Um, you know, it's, I suppose you, you do think, you know, are they doing all they can? You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's such a difficult world that we live in now, you know, do they, do they sidle up to Iran with a, with a warship and say, you know, you know, hand her, hand her over or we'll, we'll send some shells in kind of thing, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, barring that, you know, what do they do with the sanctions and, and trying to get people out of there? I think um, it's just, it's a horrible situation for that family. Mm-hmm. And uh, my, my heart goes out to them. And uh, I think they're just, they've just been caught in a, in a bad, in a bad place, you know, and they're, they're, they're yeah, they're just, you know, what is it about this world that you can't, you, can't, you know, I, I see this more and more now, you know, I, I don't know whether it's just me getting older, but I see the authorities in China, I see the authorities in Russia, uh, Iran and other places, and I think they're not, they're not going to change. No. You know, they're, they're very difficult um, authorities to deal with, uh, and I totally disagree with them, but how, how do you deal with them? And that's, that's the billion dollar question. One of the questions I want to ask is why are they not paying the four hundred million pounds? If they got the tanks, were they deficient in some way? Um, why why can they not negotiate this out and and work out the money and let that woman come home? Mm-hmm. I can't begin to imagine her sorrow or her pain. I don't know if she's a woman of faith or any faith or, or none, um, but I, I think that it's really important that we're holding that family in prayer and that that wee girl. And her husband, I mean, I looked at him on the news the other day and I thought that man is aged 20 years yeah. and five, you know, and that, that burden to carry, it's almost unbearable. And I just hope that he knows that people are holding them in love and, and asking God for grace and mercy for them. Yeah. I don't know whether the, the, the sanctions that Iran uh, have, that uh, whether you know, the, the paying of any money, etc., for that. And I don't know the ins and outs of all that so-called contract or whatever was organised those years ago. Um, I don't know whether that's complicated, the fact that, you know, can things be paid without breaking sanctions and who, who needs to agree to all of this, you know. Unfortunately, in amidst all of that politics, you know, there's a family that's suffering. Yeah, yeah. Well, we commit them to God again afresh and pray that that little girl's mind will be guarded um, from anything that would hurt or harm her. And we pray that, you know, Richard and his wife would have the peace that passes understanding and their wider family circle. We also want to pray, I think, that this God who transforms all of creation will transform this situation for this family. Mm -hmm. Um, We give them to God. Another thought that was in my mind about women, we're going back to uh, our favourite subject, Laura, we Nicola. Oh, yes. Robert, just so as you know, we love Nicola. It doesn't mean that we're... We're, we're not trying to influence people in election week. Exactly. 
this is not a party political broadcast for the SNP, but we love Nicola because she's a woman who's strong. She's given immense leadership. Um, we don't know the ins and outs of who she is, but we know what our public face is. And, and I know I, I love her. I think she's brilliant. I think she's given an incredible leadership, especially through this pandemic. Um, but she was saying in the news this week, she, she's going to, she actually trained in law at Glasgow University. Did you know that? Yeah, I only found that out recently, actually. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's great. But she's, she's wanting to challenge the not proven law in, in Scottish law, uh, or verdict in Scottish law, because she's saying that the, the link between the number of cases of rape and other sexual offences have has plummeted the rate of conviction, and the link between that and the not proven verdict is just too, too great to be ignored. Mm-hmm. What's your thinking on that? Well, I'm a, did you know I was trained in law? No. <laughs> Happy days, you can me, speak with authority. Me and Nicola both, uh, although I, I did my legal training at Strathclyde University before I went into the ministry and uh, I qualified as a solicitor just before I went back into the ministry. So I know a little bit about the law. Um, but um, yes, this is a, a, a difference that we have in Scots law. Um, which, I mean, you know, Scots law is different from uh, the rest of the UK. It has its own system. Um, I, I think I think what I would do personally is, is reserve my judgment to, to hear what the arguments in terms of the not proven verdict are. Um, I suppose people um, uh, say, well, guilty or not guilty, it's, it's kind of clear, um, you know, one way or t'other kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but like so many things in theolo- theology as well, uh, and in the church, there's lots of grey areas, as we know. Everything's not black and white. And so um, I'm not saying get rid of or don't get rid of the not proven verdict, but I'd like to hear the debate as it emerges uh, about the reasons for that, because, um, I, I, you know, for people to walk free when they seem guilty, you know, uh, and the other way to, to have them guilty when it, there's too much doubt about it. You know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a minefield. We're, we're dealing with people's lives. We were talking about Nazanin uh, in Iran. You know, we're talking about individuals here as well. Um, so I, I think I, I would just, I'd like to hear the debate. I think that's what I'm saying. I think one of the things that concerns me is that um, in the not proven verdict, um, is then challenged in a civil case. Could you explain to me why it's, there's less evidence required in a civil case than in a, a, a crime case, for example? Uh. <laughs> 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 I'm thinking back about that student in St Andrews a few years ago, who the, the, her, her attacker was found not proven in the, the Scottish courts, um, and then she took him on a, a private lawsuit and in the mm. civil court. I'm speaking here from a place of complete ignorance, sorry. But what I know is that they, that she was he was found guilty there, I believe, wasn't he? Yeah. I yeah. think I think in terms of guilty from, from memory, and I'm, I stand to be corrected, of course, that it's got to be beyond doubt for, mm. for a guilty verdict. Right, okay. Um, you know, so um, if you've got doubts in there, then you can't really convict somebody uh, of that. Um, I mean, it's 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 a it's a difficult one because I mean, um, the case is now passed, I suppose. But I mean, Alex Salmond um, was was um, not guilty of the allegations against him, um, but yet it didn't stop the the judge saying his behaviour was inappropriate. Yeah, yeah. Do you know, so uh, so basically, the judge is saying you're you're guilty of inappropriate behaviour, but you're not guilty of these crimes. Yeah. Uh, or the allegations. Um, so that, that, that is just such a, a, a grey area there mm. that, that needs to be explored. Mm-hmm. I think I think you're right, Robert. That it'll be good to um, hear actually the cases that are made. You know, um, as they discuss this, um, because uh, you know initially I think, oh, aye, that'd be a good thing. You know. Um, you know, I remember there being a, a murder trial whenever I was young. You know, it was a young woman that whose body was dumped actually quite near where my gran lived. 
um, and I, I mind my gran and her friend always talking about this case, and it was a it was a not proven, um, but there did seem to be a lot of evidence, you know, um, and so I always did wonder about that, you know, you think oh there's just not enough evidence, um, so it'd be good to find out, but again as the as the mother of a son. You know, it's always that I think if it's a mother or a son, it's all you always do worry about, you know, pe- your, your son being maybe accused of things falsely. Um, uh, and so uh, it's, a, it's a very difficult one. Very difficult. I think, I think justice has always got to be seen to be done. You know, I mean, seeing the news recently, one of the things that shocked me in the news recently was the post office workers. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. whose lives were ruined, to some of whom were uh, put yeah. in prison, yep. and and it's shown now to be totally false mm-hmm. because of the, the computer system. Now, I know that's a, a different issue altogether kind of thing, but I think all I'm saying is in, in any judicial system that we have, let's make sure we're doing the right thing mm-hmm. and, and we're coming to the right verdict in the right way and, and that we can't just... Yeah, we can't just always accept it, you know, because I'm, I'm, I mean, I really feel sorry for all those workers. I can't imagine what they've gone through. I was um, reading that you know. one of them um, was pregnant when she was put in the jail, or she'd just given birth and didn't get even yeah. get to, to have time with her, her baby. Oh, yeah. Just appalled yeah. me. That's just outrageous, isn't it? Oh, you know? yeah. Yep. Well, we're coming to an end um, of our time together, and I just want to give you one one. One question. The Roman Catholic Church has canonized Eve as a saint and Adam, of course. So sinner or saint, what do you think, friends? Eve, sinner or saint? I'm going for saint. I'm going for good women. (laughs) (laughs) I I just think it's hilarious that people like us, well, I won't speak for me, people like me who think she's a fictional character, but um, has been made a saint. <laughs> However, as the character she's been created, as the, the mother of, of humankind, um, I think she's been done a brave insur- injustice and disservice. And I think, to use their ter- the Roman Catholic Church's terminology, I would say she's more saint than sinner. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I want to say thanks, Robert, for joining us this month. And we look forward to you coming back in the days ahead. Absolute and- pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's been a joy. And for all of you out there who may think that we've gone off the reels a wee bit this month, that's okay. Well, you're allowed to go off the reels and, and the reels are getting bigger and wider all the time. So so don't worry because God's less interested in thumping, thumping us across the head with the Bible and more interested in loving us and cherishing us and affirming us. And on that note, we'll say hasta la pasta. We'll see you another time. Well, verbally, I mean audio, audio audibly that's the word i'm looking for so cheerio and have a great day and remember whose you are to whom you belong bye bye for now bye bye